It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Emissions Show. It's recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia in the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you choose to use. You can also follow us on Twitter at bzetechshow. My name is Kay and today I am live in the studio with Richard Keach and special guest Tim Forsey. Richard is an engineer, consultant and author with particular interest in renewable energy and energy efficiency. He has a master's degree in both engineering and electronics and in environment and energy efficiency. He was a key author of the Zero Carbon Australia Buildings Plan and a regular contributor to the Alternative Technologies Association for publications on topics related to energy efficiency. Richard recently wrote a book on home energy efficiency which has been published, just been published. He lives in Melbourne with his family in their zero carbon home. Thanks for joining us today, Richard. Good morning, Kay. Our guest, Tim Forsey, has over 30 years of experience in the industrial energy sector with the ExxonMobil, BHB Billiton and Jemina, and including specific experience with assets such as the Bass Strait Joint Venture and the Queensland Gas Pipeline. During his time at the Australian Energy Market Operator, Tim led the publication of the 2011 Gas Statement of Opportunities the 2012 South Australian Electricity Report and the AEMO 100% Renewable Energy Study Modelling Inputs and Assumptions. With MEI, Tim has published reports and articles covering gas and electricity demand, gas to electricity fuel switching and pumped hydro energy storage technology and commercial applications. Tim's also worked part-time as a home energy consultant with the Moreland Energy Foundation, Positive Charge and has volunteered with Alternative Energy Association and Beyond Zero Emissions. Richard, when interviewing Tim Forsey, will specifically be discussing the recent MEI report called Switching Off Gas, an Examination of Declining Gas Demand in Eastern Australia. Before handing over, can you tell us about this study that's just been released from the University of Melbourne Institute, Tim? Yes, sure. This publication is a report we call Switching Off Gas, uh, an Examination of Declining Gas Demand in Eastern Australia has uh, just been released and it's available on the University of Melbourne Energy Institute website. And we're looking at uh, gas demand across uh, all of Eastern Australia, which excludes Western Australia and the Northern Territory. The reasons for that, of course, are because there's no actually any connecting pipelines between the Eastern part of Australia and those other jurisdictions similar quite to the uh, electricity system that uh, gets examined in that way from time to time. But uh, what we're seeing in Eastern Australia is a lot of people are looking at the supply side for gas. Of course, it's quite controversial, the new unconventional gas production methods, which involve the, uh, the hydraulic fracturing or the fracking. And so that gets a lot of uh, news, and a lot of people are looking at that side. But we found that there wasn't so much study going on looking at the demand side for gas, and so that's what the gap that we've tried to plug by uh, producing this report. Okay. Thank you. And Richard? Yeah. Let's back up a bit. Tim, can you perhaps tell us a little bit about your background in, in uh, the fossil fuel industry and 
perhaps what led you to your current sort of frame of mind around energy efficiency and, and so on? Sure, sure, yes. As you heard there before, many years I was working in petrochemicals and uh, oil and gas, but um, at a certain point I became aware of the climate emergency. And so I started to think about things a bit differently and started doing some volunteering work with the Alternative Technology Association and Beyond Zero Emissions. Contributed to the uh, Zero Carbon Stationary, Stationary Energy Plan with Beyond Zero and the Buildings Plan. And uh, then eventually realized that uh, I had to do something a bit more productive than uh, just producing oil and gas. And I uh, have uh, been employed also by the Australian Energy Market Operator, which we'll hear more about later. That's the organization that is responsible for aspects of planning uh, Eastern Australia's gas and electricity systems. So that gave me an opportunity initially to, uh, I was working with gas, but initially then to move over to uh, the electricity side. And I also had the opportunity at AEMO, the Australian Energy Market Operator to uh, get involved with the 100% renewable energy study that they did, which followed uh, after the, the Beyond Zero work. So certainly my volunteer work with Beyond Zero was a very good opportunity to uh, then use that knowledge at, uh, at AEMA with the study that, that they did. In more recent times, I've been um, doing research with the University of Melbourne Energy Institute, which of course has partnered with Beyond Zero on uh, any number of projects. And the work I've done there well, there's uh, actually a previous uh, radio recording that you could find on the, uh, the website about the pumped hydro work that we did. And also, uh, just uh, recently, we've uh, published in the Electricity Journal a study that uh, looks at declining electricity demand in Eastern Australia over the last five years. So you can find that online at the Electricity Journal. And this work that uh, we've done more recently, though, it's, uh, it's back to gas and looking at gas demand now. At the end of last year, we did a study just looking at gas demand in New South Wales. And again, you can find a, a radio podcast about the work we did there just for New South Wales toward the end of last year. And uh, then we realized that uh, it made sense that we should do a broader study looking at all of Eastern Australia which uh, for gas demand, which runs from uh, Eastern Australia, takes in Queensland and New South Wales and the ACT, Victoria, Tasmania, and, and South Australia. So that's this recent study that's been published. Very good. Energy prices are a sensitive issue in terms of the whole energy debate. Electricity prices have gone up a lot. Uh, there's been some question over whether gas prices will do the same. Can you clarify that, Tim? Uh, where are we at with gas prices and the future prospects? Certainly, yes. Uh, that, that was a key part of looking at gas demand across eastern Australia. The, um, and it's, the whole gas market is, is changing dramatically. Some folks would be familiar with the big changes we've had in electricity over the last few years, and now it's time for gas to see some big changes. For years, Eastern Australia was uh, a buyer's market for gas because gas was basically a byproduct produced from, uh, while you were out there producing oil, you would often find that gas was uh, present along with that, such as down at the Bass Strait, and the oil companies weren't allowed to just dispose of or flare or vent that gas. The regulators required that they uh, that they uh, save that gas for later. And, but they're always very interested in, in selling it as quickly as they could and get it out of the way. So it was more or less a, a byproduct back in, uh, you know, over the last uh, 30 years with uh, gas in Eastern Australia. But in more recent times, what's happened is, of course, there was the uh, finding that with the coal seam gas reserves in Queensland, that there was a lot of gas that could be produced from that. And this led to the construction of the gas export facilities in Gladstone, Queensland, where there's six different factories there that produce the liquefied natural gas, the LNG, for export to Asia. 
Now, the whole eastern Australia is connected with pipelines, and it's one interconnected gas market. And so finally, after all these decades, that gave the oil and gas companies the opportunity to say that now gas should be valued not at some cheap giveaway price, but rather at more of a world parity price, kind of like crude oil is, is traded. And so with these linkages with overseas, that is driving gas prices up quite significantly on the wholesale market. So that's one reason. So these international linkages have driven up gas prices on the wholesale market. They practically doubled already. And so there's the question whether they keep going at that rate or whether they plateau for a bit. That's where the gas prices are at presently. But there's other factors. The unconventional methods of producing gas from the coal seams, for example, at present, and people are also looking at producing gas unconventionally from shale and from very tight sandstone reservoirs. These unconventional gas production methods have been found not to be as cheap as what people were hoping or expecting some years ago. And so, again, that's another reason that prices are being driven up. And also, there is a lack of competition in the gas industry. There, for a long time, there was just a very limited number of players involved with supplying the gas. And in fact, that's a, a subject of an inquiry by the, uh, the ACCC, the Australian Consumer Competition Commission, are looking at uh, the limited competition that exists in the gas industry. So it's for all those reasons that gas prices have gone up. And um, so they may well keep going up. They may uh, stabilize a bit because world uh, oil prices have dropped down and to some extent gas prices are linked to oil. But it really all, it all comes down to the negotiation between the gas buyers and we could be talking about major industry who would like to buy gas to run the, uh, the factories that they've been running for, for years in Eastern Australia and also the, the other companies that then, then supply gas to the retail market like your AGLs, your Origins, etc. It, it all comes down to the negotiation across the table when they sit down with the gas suppliers and who's got the power. And in years and decades gone by, it was the, the gas buyers that had the power because they, they knew the companies were just interested in getting rid of this stuff. But these days now, the power more resides with the suppliers where they could say, well, um, gee, it's really expensive to produce this, this these days, you know, and we can, can export it via these uh, new LNG facilities. So that's the discussion that goes on. And it'll be an interest, interesting space to watch as to where gas prices go in the future. Do you think the the lower price of oil is a structural one, or do you think it's going to bounce back? Oh, goodness. That's a whole other topic that uh, may not have time for today. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Historically, we've been used to energy demand increasing. But what have you found in terms of growth in energy demand, Tim? Exactly. Yes, you're exactly right. Um, you know, Australia is a growing country. The economy is growing. The population is growing. And so traditionally, when you looked at electricity and gas, that meant that demand just went up, up, up. But what we saw with electricity, first of all, first of all over the last five years, is that, and it was quite a lot of a surprise to, to a lot of people that uh, were involved in the industry, electricity demand stopped growing. And in fact, it declined for five recent years, uh, year on year. And uh, that's a whole other story about uh, energy efficiency and increasing electricity prices etc., that were responsible for the falls in the electricity demand. And then, then we can look at gas. And here would be an interesting question, I suppose, for the listeners. People talk about peak oil, peak this, peak that. So a question for the listeners, when do you think that uh, the use of gas within Eastern Australia, now I'm, I'm not talking about the exported stuff, but when do you think the use of gas in Eastern Australia will peak? And the answer to that is that it peaked in 2012. So three years ago already, the use of gas in eastern Australia peaked, and it's gone down every year since. And the official forecasts from the Australian energy market operator are that it's going to keep going down. 
the use of gas in, uh, for electricity generation has totally collapsed. There was a time when there were thoughts that a lot of gas would be used for electricity generation in eastern Australia as we switched off coal, but uh, that hasn't really happened, and now there's no carbon price, and the price of gas has gone up, and so the use of gas and electricity generation has just really collapsed, so demand's falling there. The demand for gas in industry is going down, as laid out by the Australian Energy Market Operator. And then what we found with our recent study that's just been published, we had a look at also gas use in buildings, which obviously is an area where Beyond Zero has done quite a bit of work. And then also uh, Alternative Technology Association also did some recent work looking at gas demand in buildings. So we looked at, looked at that too, because the Australian Energy Market Operator really hasn't got across that part of it yet. But uh, we see the opportunity for big reductions in gas use in buildings as well over the next decade. So when you add all that up, when you see the collapse in, in gas use for electricity, falling gas use in industry, and then the potential for falling gas use in buildings, we prepared a scenario where by 2025, the use of gas in eastern Australia is half of what it was during the peak of 2012. Half. That's extraordinary. A lot of the apparent push for unconventional gas, I understand, arises from the perceived need for, for more gas. Do you, do you think that's true? And if so, d doesn't it mean that unconventional gas really doesn't have a case? A push for producing unconventional gas is because there's uh, oil and gas companies that want to go produce it yeah. because that's what they do. Yeah. That's their business. So they, they will, they will um, put up uh, cases to produce it. Fine. That's, uh, that's how they make their living. I used to make my living that way. But yeah, when you look at the demand side, how much are we going to need? How much are you going to use, uh, et cetera? Well, we're, we're just trying to put information out there, um, you know, independent information from the University of Melbourne that people can use, use it for, for what you want. But certainly it looks like the use of gas in eastern Australia is going to be falling quite significantly over the next 10 years. Now, does that mean less gas gets produced or where does that gas go? If you use less gas in buildings, does it go over into industry? Does it make it more available to industry or does it all just get exported? Those are all bigger market questions that we didn't attempt to answer. But yes, we, we have a scenario there that shows gas demand decreasing quite significantly and then how that plays out in terms of what gets produced and, and where it goes and what the prices will be. I, again, I say will be uh, some very interesting space to watch in the coming years. Hmm. Moving on a bit, in your report, a big part of the report seems to look at the prospects for using less gas in houses. Can you tell us about how homes can use less gas? Yeah, you're exactly right there because, you know, we did, we, when we set out to do this work, we just wanted to look at gas demand and we didn't know where the research would go. That's the way research is sometimes. But we felt we didn't have a whole lot more to add to the study of uh, the use of gas for electricity generation. What the Australian Energy Market Operators published seems to make sense to us there and also on the industrial side. So where we found a space that particularly the Australian Energy Market Operator is not across just yet is in the building sector. But then you just fall back and you look at what Beyond Zero had done with the buildings plan and what the Alternative Technology Association, the ATA, did with their study that was published back in about October, November last year, which uh, was titled, Are We Still Cooking with Gas? So those organizations did the work, particularly ATA, looked at great detail. They looked at 156 different combinations of different climate zones in eastern Australia and different types of houses, and they looked specifically at each of those areas and what do people actually pay for gas and electricity in all those different areas because it varies from area to area. 
So the ATA did a, a tremendous piece of work, which I was involved with reviewing, and probably you were too, Richard. So that was that was really a groundbreaking study. And in our work, we don't really have much to add to that other than to put the pieces together. And uh, like I said, when you when you put those pieces together, you find that gas demand overall could be falling to half of what it was by 2025. Certainly gas use in buildings can be going down quite significantly for the following reasons and technologies that uh, BZE and the ATA have been talking about for a while. In buildings these days, it turns out, particularly in Victoria, people have heated their homes for a long time with gas because it was uh, seen to be cheap, it was plentiful, it was down there in the Bass Strait. Like I said, it used to be a bit of a waste product, so why not use it to heat your home? And particularly in Victoria, you know, different than Tasmania, which traditionally didn't have gas, or Queensland, where they don't have a lot of home heating, uh, it was Victoria that you find a lot of uh, use of gas in homes for heating, and people also use gas for their hot water and also for their cooking. But what we're finding these days is it's actually cheaper to heat your house, say, with a reverse cycle air conditioner. And there's a lot of cases you can find where it can be cheaper to heat your water, not with gas, but by using electricity. And then that just leaves the cooking. And if you can convince the cook of the house that an induction cooktop is the way to go, you can find houses that are going completely off of gas. A lot of people talk about getting off the electricity grid, but not too many are doing it. Whereas I think there are people that are getting off of the, the gas grid. So backing up a bit on that with those different technologies. The one that got picked up by the press this week, and it was the top article in the, the age for a period of time online, was this idea that homes in Victoria in particular could save an average of like $658 a year on their heating bills if they simply switch on the reverse cycle air conditioner that they already have. And so you'll find a lot of homes, and there's millions of homes across Eastern Australia that have both heating systems. They'll have a gas heating system, but they also have installed reverse cycle air conditioners in recent times to get them through the increasingly warming summers. And we did that in our home ourselves. We'd finished some renovations. And so now it was time to get rid of that old crappy air conditioner that we had from years and years ago and to buy some new modern air conditioners, very efficient, that also have the reverse cycle function, which means they can also be used as heaters. And so I did a bit of an experiment in my own home where one, uh, over a series of days, I would heat the house with the old 20-year-old ducted gas system. And then some similar days, similar from the point of view of what's going on in the house with the different occupants, and similar from the point of view of the weather, because that's important outside. And so we did a comparison as to what it costs to heat the home using the gas during one series of days or then using the reverse cycle air conditioners. And I'd never done this before. I'd never sat down. You know, I'm an engineer interested in energy, but I'd never run out and looked at my gas meter on an hourly basis or getting up at five o'clock in the morning to run out and check the gas meter before the people start having their showers. But that's what I did for a period of time. And I found that on average, we could heat our home with gas for about $4.80. Now, our home is fairly thermally efficient. We've got the double glazed windows and decent insulation. So that's $4.80. Some people might pay $10 a day to heat their homes with gas. If uh, their homes are less efficient and maybe they've got a lot of occupants running around, children leaving doors open and that sort of thing. So $4.80 is what it costs to heat our home with gas. And then we did it over a series of days with the reverse cycle air conditioners and it cost $1.50. So that's one third the price. And to me, you know, I knew that was going to be close to the answer because I've been working in this area, but it was still kind of amazing to see when you actually work it out for yourself. And then you go back and you check the work of the ATA and the Beyond Zero again, and you find that they've been saying this sort of thing all along. So when it was in the news the other day that your average Melbourne home could save $658 a year by switching from gas over to the reverse cycle air conditioners, that's pretty much very similar to what, what we found in our own experience. Some people might be puzzled by that, Tim. They might pose that the gas tariff per megajoule is still less than half 
the cost of electricity per megajoule. So how can heating with electricity be cheaper if per unit of energy, electricity is still much more expensive than gas? Yes, for a, on a per energy basis, per megajoule, gigajoule, or per kilowatt hour, sure, electricity has always been traditionally more expensive than gas because electricity is a, is a manufactured thing, isn't it? It's a, considered amongst engineers a high-quality energy where something like gas that you just burned was uh, considered lower quality energy. And for that and other reasons, there was always this price differential. And so that's, that's there to a certain extent. I'll come back to it. But what you find on the other side is uh, what's the efficiency of these appliances we're talking about? So like take the gas ducted heating, for example. You burn the gas, so you're going to lose some, some heat up the, the chimney, up the flue to, to begin with. So there's no way uh, gas can ever be 100% efficient. And then you put that heat into your ducts, and you might be losing some heat out your ducts if they're not 100% perfectly insulated, and they never are. There's been some dogs and other animals under my house, so someday I'm going to get under there and see what those ducts look like exactly, but kind of hard to get under the house. And then you, with the ducted gas, you end up distributing gas all, heat all throughout the house. Now, maybe in, in rooms that you're not even interested in, in being in at that point in time, and you can try to, try to close off the individual registers and do that a bit. But still, you'll find some issues with heat being used where you don't necessarily need it. And also, blowing air around the, the house the way you do there with the, uh, the ducted gas can actually overpressure some parts of the house and underpressure others. And so if you've got a leaky house, then you'll find that heat will be escaping or cold air will be coming in because of those pressure imbalances. So when you work all that out, you find that uh, ducted gas heating systems aren't very efficient. You might be talking about 50% of the best, maybe 40%, maybe as low as 30% in terms of actually getting the energy from that gas to where you want it to stay warm. Now let's look at the other side, which is your reverse cycle air conditioners. A lot of people will have bought one, two of these, stuck one in the lounge room perhaps, and uh, which can be a place where they do a lot of their living. And so it's sitting right there in a very good spot. And so they turn it on and the heat comes out of that thing and none of it is wasted, potentially. So you can have very high efficiency looking at that point of view. But then let's look back at what a reverse cycle air conditioner actually is. Uh, electricity's had a bad name for heating for a long time because there's other ways to use electricity to heat your, your resistive wall heaters and your panel heaters and your oil column heaters and your fan heaters. Those just use electrical resistance to generate heat. So that's one for one. One unit of electricity gives you one unit of heat. Pretty simple. But with the reverse cycle air conditioners, they are actually very efficient renewable energy harvesting machines. And what they use a refrigerant cycle, and overseas it's called a heat pump. You're not familiar with these things from America in the 1970s. They were selling heat pumps. And people in Tasmania, New Zealand, they're well across this. They're, they're known as heat pumps. They use them all the time for home heating. They use a refrigerant cycle, so you use a little bit of electricity to actually go outside and steal or recover renewable ambient heat from the outside air. Even if it's uh, minus 5 degrees or minus 10 degrees outside, they can still do it. They capture that energy from the air, and they pump it up to the temperature that you need in your lounge room of, say, 30 or 40 or even 50 degrees you can have coming out of these things. And so those, uh, with one unit of electricity, you're able to recover three or four or five units of free renewable energy from the outside world. So that means instead of looking at an efficiency of 50 or 30% like you have with your ducted gas heating, you've got efficiencies of 300, 400, or 500%. So when you make that comparison, that is what wipes out that price advantage you mentioned, Richard, where the electricity has been more expensive than gas. But actually, there's other things happening. With people putting up solar panels, and these days, just recently in Victoria, they're talking about 
a feed-in tariff that'll only be five cents a kilowatt hour for electricity you put back out onto the grid. Gone are the good old days when you could get 60 cents, but now you only get five. Well, at five cents, that electricity is actually cheaper than gas. So the whole price advantage for electricity versus gas has been, been wiped out as well if you're in that situation where you're producing excess electricity from your solar panels. So those combinations of technologies are a real game changer, and that's why it's becoming a bit of a no-brainer for people to be heating their homes with reverse cycle air conditioners where they already have them. If you're looking at building a new house or a new suburb, then you can really be looking at how you can set up a home to be uh, using only the, gas, only the electricity for heating. And uh, also when folks, you know, with each, each uh, summer, as they get warmer and warmer and people are concerned about getting through the summers, I would say don't feel so guilty about buying that reverse cycle air conditioner. Get a good one. Get a good star rating. Place it in your home somewhere that will be useful not only in the summertime for cooling, but also so you can use it in the winter. In Melbourne, you'll find that you'll use your air conditioner for a few days in the summer. You know, you might be a handful of days, five days, 10 days, 15 days for cooling in Melbourne is what you find happens. But then you'll be able to use that same device to heat your home over 100 or 150 days through the uh, spring, uh, winter, and autumn months. So you can get a lot more value out of it that way. Your report uses the term economic fuel switching. I presume that just means switching from gas to electricity. Is that something you've done? I think that's a really important term that we need to get into the language. And I've even kind of got a, what I call a three-part meme. So a lot of people like to run around talking about renewable energy, renewable energy, renewable energy. Fine. That's one part of the meme. And the energy efficiency people have always gotten annoyed by that and said, hold on, it's not just renewable energy, it's energy efficiency and renewable energy. And now I'm saying, hold on, it's not just energy efficiency and renewable energy. It's economic fuel switching, energy efficiency, and renewable energy. So those are the, those are the three things that we're going to be doing as we move to a zero carbon future. So the economic fuel switching, yes, it just means switching off the gas and switching on the electricity because that's the economic thing to do. And it's also the, you know, the green thing to do because, again, a study by the ATA that was published, and it was entitled, Are We Still Cooking the Planet with Gas? They looked at the emissions effects of the different ways of heating your house or doing your hot water or your cooking, and they found that um, in just about every case that there were less carbon emissions involved with using the reverse cycle air conditioners because of their high efficiency that I talked about. Even if the bit of electricity you're using there comes from a brown coal plant, why the emissions were still less because of the very good efficiency of the reverse cycle air conditioners and the poor efficiency of the ducted gas systems. So that's what I call the economic fuel switching. You'll find other people doing economic fuel switching between petrol and electricity. So folks that are running out and getting the, uh, the electric cars, well, they're basically doing fuel switching between petrol and now onto electricity. That's part of the, the memes or the language I think we need to get out there. It's uh, economic uh, fuel switching, energy efficiency, and renewable energy. Okay, Tim, I think that's about it. I think we're running out of time, so appreciate your time today. And, um, yeah, good luck. Thank you very much. On that note, we'd like to wrap up the show and thank you, Tim Forsey, for joining us to explain this report and also to Richard Keach for hosting it. And if you want to listen to this show or any of the others that we have done, then you can go to www.bze.org.au slash media slash radio and you'll find them there. You can also find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Thanks for listening, and we hope we'll see you again next week. And also, don't forget our one-hour-long BZE sister show every Monday afternoon at 5 p.m. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.